What's up, podcast listeners? This is episode 14 of Jack of All Trades podcast. Very excited to be spending time with Dr. Christina Navarro, who is the Senior Associate Athletic Director of Strategic Partnerships and Leadership Development at Rutgers University. In addition to this role at Rutgers, she is also heavily involved within N4A and has been heavily involved within the NCAA. Within N4A, she was part of the board of directors that really bridged the gap between having N4A just be academic focused to now encompass the student-athlete development profession as well into what the organization is about today. And with the NCAA, she was a key component of creating and implementing the pyramid model that we all know of the five pillars of student-athlete development. Now, without further ado, welcome to the Jack of All Trades podcast. This is uh, episode 14 of the Jack of All Trades podcast featuring Christina Navarro, who is the Senior Associate Athletic Director at Rutgers University. And uh, let's welcome Christina to the show and allow her to give us some more of a brief introduction about what she does at Rutgers. How's it going, Christina? Good. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Of course. So So, do you just want to go over um, some of what you do at Rutgers? Okay. Sure. So I started last September, September 1st, so about 11 months in now. And I oversee our Office of Leadership Development and Strategic Partnerships, which includes six main pillars. So personal enhancement programming, community engagement programming, leadership development, uh, community engagement, career development, and then our staff. And so a lot of what we do is uh, on the partnership side as well is focused on international engagement, campus partnerships, and community partnerships. And then we work pretty intentionally with our academic support unit as well. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, that, that sounds great. And, uh, you know, just delving back more into your past, um, you were a student athlete and served in SAC at the University of Wisconsin Lacrosse. Uh, yes. What role have these experiences had on you wanting to work in student athlete development? I would say just crucial. I mean, they were foundational to me wanting to be involved in more of a leadership capacity with student athletes. I think myself being able to do an internship after I graduated undergrad at UW-Madison was really one of the most influential experiences for me. This was about the time that life skills programming was becoming more prevalent in Division One, and so it was an opportunity to really start at the ground level and build a program uh, with my direct supervisor. And then moving on from there to UNC Chapel Hill with working with our leadership academy, I was able to learn some of the nuts and bolts of curricular development. Had some really great mentors that encouraged me to pursue a doctoral degree and uh, really was able to then bring that scholar practitioner approach to all the programming that I was doing. That's so great. Yeah, I mean, the background for people within this field is so diverse and it's really awesome to see that you came from a uh, division three school correct 
Yeah, so I, I did my undergrad at a Division three school, and then I worked at uh, University of North Carolina, University of Oklahoma, and University of Wisconsin, and then spent six years after that at a D3 school. So I've been kind of at both ends of the spectrum. Mm-hmm. Now, Delvin, more back into um, before you started working at North Carolina and uh, the University of Wisconsin, I noticed that um, you – were also working as a strength coach, um, both at the University of Wisconsin-Madison and also Edgewood College. Yeah, um, so oh, – go ahead. Why did you decide to make the transition from student-athlete development to uh, um, strength in conditioning? Well, really, that was uh, part of uh, what we would say a practicum to finish off my undergraduate degree, and I always had interest in coaching in in some capacity, and so strength and conditioning was kind of my entry point into the coaching world, Uh, and I was really able to do both student-athlete development and also supporting more of that background uh, with student-athletes at the Division III level, and uh, for myself, it was really about the betterment of the student-athlete experience and from both a performance standpoint and also what they were looking to do in outside of the classroom, outside of the playing surface as well. So I really saw it as a holistic way to stay involved with the athletes. And for myself, kind of transitioning from being an athlete, that was a personal interest area of mine. Um, They did that just for a year and then kind of moved on to the student-athlete development space primarily. Awesome. Yeah. And, you know, when you made that transition from – Working in strength and conditioning, Um, as you mentioned, you worked at both Wisconsin and North Carolina, and there are some great leaders within this space of student-athlete development at both those universities, and uh, Bridget Woodruff at Wisconsin and uh, Cricket Lane at North Carolina. Uh, What were these experiences like working with them and working under them, and what are some of the specific things that you learned during these experiences? Yeah, so uh, at the time when I worked at Madison, Kelly Richards was the individual that was overseeing all of the life skills programming. So she and I really worked hand in hand to develop our career development area. Um, And then I think Bridget was hired towards the end of my tenure there and we worked together. At the time she was also an advisor. So we developed things like the Buckinghams, was able to work with her on a lot of new initiatives with the uh, Badger Life Skills Academy, um, developing a freshman course. So I would say a lot of what I learned there was also supplemented by what I learned at UMC Chapel Hill. And uh, they had a very specific structure with dance and sport leadership, uh, which was an outside consultant. And it was an actual kind of curriculum-based, I would say, scaffolding uh, program where you start in freshman year and then it moves up to the sophomore, junior, and senior year where the seniors are mentoring the freshmen. Um, So I've always looked at what works for a specific campus and how do you uh, emulate parts of it, but also then think about what is the population you're currently working with and what's going to work at your institution. I think that that self-awareness is so key, not only just for an individual, but the the university landscape. And uh, some of the other things you did before we delve more into the main topic is um, you worked, as you said, at Wisconsin Whitewater, and during that time you were working with student athletes, but you were also working with just the regular student body um, as a professor. 
what are some of the similarities and differences between both these demographics and how would you recommend bridging the gap between both parties? Yeah, so at uh, Division Three level at UW-Whitewater, we were able to develop a leadership academy because we had a, basically a leadership development program for, for students campus-wide. So we worked in tandem with the first-year experience uh, department or office on campus, and several of our credit-based programs in the education Department of Education and Continuing Study, or I should say the College of Education and Professional Studies. And so a lot of what we did at the Division Three level was reaching not only student-athletes, but across the whole campus. And it was part of our high-impact practices program, or LEAP standards, Liberal Education for America's Promise. Uh, so I would say that what you do with student-athletes is, is really just focusing it around a time schedule that will work for them and is very intentional, given the time demands of their specific needs. Uh, also thinking about the regular student, as work commitments or might be involved in other aspects, might have child care specifically. So uh, everyone has certain things that are going to be a challenge for them. So it's really identifying what are those unique needs and how do you best serve that population. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, they're all around the, the, the same exact age group. So it's just, as you said, just fitting in the different time demands of the athletes themselves is the main difference. And uh one of the other things that you've done, I mean, you're definitely a trendsetter within this industry. Um, and before getting to Rutgers, you were heavily you were heavily involved, and you still are heavily involved in organizations such as the NCAA Leadership Development Team, um, N4A, and Women's Leaders. Yep. That and all of these kind of strive to promote the mission of providing student-athletes a holistic experience during their collegiate journey. Um, some of these roles, you know, was serving on the NCAA Life Skills Action Team, really right. just developing the pyramid that everybody knows um, of the five pillars and also being a member of the board of directors for N4A Right. when you assisted in rebranding N4A to encompass both academics and student-athlete development professionals and not just academics. So how have these experiences been and uh, what did you learn during these times? I would say it's just been uh, phenomenal to be a part of organizations and groups that have both like-minded individuals but just also innovative ways of thinking around how we move the profession forward. Uh, what's been really interesting to me is this has been such an evolutionary field and has developed just such in such a drastic way over the last 10 years that it's been exciting to be a part of. Uh, I think the way that we've been able to come together on the board of directors with N4A and really shepherd this process of change and not, not a merger, I don't like to say a merger, but just the, the redevelopment and reimagination of how we work together as student athlete development professionals and academic support. And that includes learning specialists, um, diversity inclusion programming, wellness programming, just the myriad of things and programs that have become part of what we do on a daily basis has drastically grown. And so having thought leaders come together in these spaces has been critical because it's, there's no paint-by-number book on how to do this. It's evolving every day, and I think that's what's most exciting, too, across 
organizations like NACSA, N4A is one of the largest uh, individual organizations that has grown in both membership and also just programmatic areas, specifically PDI. Mm-hmm. Seeing all the different development there with the student athlete development specific track, so it's been it's been exciting to just be a part of these groups that really are forward thinking and trying to you know not just think about the year at hand but the future of the profession. Right, really laying that strategic foundation on you know what it looks like moving forward, and I think that that's one of the reasons why at least I can say um, N4A is definitely one of the best, if not the best branch under uh, NACTA. So, um, yes, and, you know. <laughs> I would agree. <laughs> and, I, you know, just the ability of us to work together with different organizations like NACPA and NAD and even NACMA and different areas that we need to work in tandem with. No doubt. I mean, there's so much stuff, especially with NAD, that, we'll delve into um and you know the one of the things you mentioned was PDI and how that's grown and how there was a student athlete development track right past year and you served as a faculty member on that track and that is how you and I got connected um right right so uh you know with that being said that room was full of the next wave of leaders within the student athlete development space and um, you were able to foster some growth within each of us. So why is educating younger generations within this field so important to you? I would say just in in very short statement, the younger people in this profession are the future of what we will continue to do, and they'll continue to shape the imprint and the stamp that we leave on the, the industry, but more importantly, the student athletes that we serve. And so it's, it's crucial that we continue to bring new professionals in and help guide them and understand some of the data-driven metrics, but also the, the the method behind the madness, if you will. I think a lot of people don't really understand the concept of student-athlete development and all the thought and effort and time that does go into programming. And so making sure that we can talk intelligently and and share kind of the story of what we do and that will only help our young professionals come in and continue to push the envelope with their creative ways of thinking and continuing to develop. Yeah. I mean, I, I couldn't agree more. There's so much stuff that goes into the programming aspect of it because at the end of the day, college is great, but there's so many skills that aren't taught during just a regular college schedule. So that's where student-athlete development professionals come in as well as, you know, just university life or just the um, general student body population. And, uh, you know, um, you just finished your first year or about to very, very soon at Rutgers. Right. Um, And, you know, there's been so much growth there since you've been there. And uh, what's been the biggest lesson learned for you from, you know, working at the um, Power Five level at Rutgers? I would say just the the breadth of programming that really you're responsible for at a Power Five level. And specifically, if we think about the ideas of diversity and inclusion, student-athlete welfare or wellness, mental health, and all the areas that really are coming full circle now to be on the student-athlete development professional's plate. 
and the importance of educating yourself and also building a staff of people who are knowledgeable in that space so that they can adequately, or we as a group can adequately serve the student athlete population because the needs are continuously shifting and changing. I completely agree, especially with the expansion of technology and, you know, all the stuff that really goes into that and how it impacts not just the branding side of the student athlete, but the mental side and so many other things. It's just right. continuing to expand and evolve. Um, and, you know, now we're going to get into the main portion of this show. And, uh, you know, this past N4A, I wasn't there, but I heard from quite a few people that uh, your presentation along with your your crew at Rutgers and um, Yolanda Wells at USF um, was, you know, phenomenal and groundbreaking. And one of the areas that you guys covered and that, you know, you're considered an expert in is attracting corporate partners to fund an athlete development programming, which, you know, everybody could say, you know, that's that's something that can be done at a school such as Rutgers with that brand, but you've also done sure. it at the D3 level at sure. a Wisconsin Whitewater. Um, so what process do you use when trying to get corporate sponsors to fund student athlete development programming over, you know, other um, areas within the athletic department that need funding? I think it's really about identifying the need and the wants of specific corporate organizations and how those can align with the mission of your program. And so specifically, if you think about a lot of the community engagement efforts of the student athlete development arm of an athletic department, a lot of that can align very nicely with the corporate social responsibility, CSR, avenues of a large corporation. Uh, For example, we talked in our presentation about Johnson & Johnson, which is their, their main campus is five five minutes away from my office, right on the um, College Avenue campus in New Brunswick. And so that's been a relationship we've tried to foster and think about them as a, a presenting sponsor of our entire office because of their desire and want to affiliate with something that's doing public good, student-athletes that have a very public-facing contribution back to the New Brunswick society or uh, community. So that, that's one aspect to think about. And then for us, it was how do we develop or segment our programming into areas that are appealing to corporate sponsorship? So, for example, leadership development and career development. Organizations that are – corporate organizations are going to want to hire student-athletes for all the reasons we've talked about here, the unique ability of them to have that idea of grit and perseverance and dedication. Um, however – kind of providing an access point to student-athletes and and making sure that you're valuing that experience is crucial. And so thinking about what value can you assign to specific entities or experiences, Um, like a mock interview session, or for us, a nights of networking session, what is the perceived value of that? And making sure that you're not devaluing your program and just allowing, uh, I'll be able to say, free programming or free opportunities for engagement. I think the other side of things is that corporate entities are used to paying a fee or supporting the campus side of things in areas like career fairs where they're paying for their space or being involved in some kind of a mock interviewing session through your general career services office. A lot of times there is a fee 
associated to that for the time in the access level. And so if you kind of think about that model and bring it full circle, you can really start to fund different aspects of your program creatively. Yeah, and that is something that's really key because, as you mentioned, you don't really just want to give them the opportunity to connect with the student-athletes if it's not really going to meet the needs of the athletes themselves. Um, So you have to meet the athletes where they're at and then allow the company to really shine in their own um, expertise, per se. Um, And, you know, one of the things that I did see – and I was reviewing the slides from your presentation that you sent me, but I know that you um, presented on during PDI is that there are two types of sponsorships, um, and one of them is transactional, and the other is transformational. And uh, can can you explain the the difference between these and how they differ when creating sponsorship proposals for uh, programming? Sure. So we talked a lot in the presentation about um, philanthropic giving, which is more um, donor support or working with your advancement arm or development office. And then we talked about corporate sponsorship, which would be a third party like a Learfield or an IMG. So for us, it's called a Rutgers Sport Properties. Um, and so if, if you think about it, you know, what specific areas, and I'll say inventory points, even though as an education professional, I don't really like the word, the word inventory point, but you think about how your program specifically has different aspects where people can engage. And again, like I said, you assign a value to that. Uh, and then understanding where do people want to engage? Where do companies or individuals want to engage? A lot of times for us, uh, retired people really have more time that they want to give back. And so they'd like to be more involved in a mentorship capacity. And so they are willing to contribute to something in terms of financial dollars, but also their time. So that's more of a transformational experience where they want to see the change and help with the change process. On the other side of things, more transactional, there's, there's going to be an end game or an end goal for what a company wants. I mean, yes, they want to be a part of the transformation of developing young people, but they also want to hire quality individuals. And so that's more of a transaction in the sense of we're going to develop a contract, a contractual relationship with you for access to potential employees for us. Um, And so you kind of think about that as there's a transactional element to it because it's contractually binding. And then on the student-athlete development side, you need to think about fulfilling that contract adequately. Uh, So that's, that's another ask for us as student-athlete development professionals to make sure that you are fulfilling the needs of contracts. That's why it's really crucial to have that relationship with your development side of things and also your corporate sponsorship side of of the house so that everybody's on the same page. Because if a corporate sponsor is selling inventory points that you're not aware of or you haven't had a conversation about, you're going to potentially have to – it will impact your programming and how you deliver your programming in some way. So just having those intentional conversations at the front end helps it be more of a cohesive model. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And, you know, one of the things is definitely having that communication piece because, you know, if you don't know those specific inventory points, it seems like um, you could potentially even lose that uh, sponsorship. Definitely. Yeah. And, And like, I'll give an example. If, 
you have in a contractual agreement that the student athlete development professional isn't aware that, uh, I'll just say Rutgers Sport Properties has something written to a contractual agreement that there's going to be X number of conversations with student athletes or student athlete advisory committee, but then you've already kind of created your curriculum for the year, there's going to be a disconnect. And so it just causes dysfunction. Um, so that's one of the things that we've done at the front end, and it's been wonderful for myself and our unit to work with our external entities because we've been able to have those conversations. And we're kind of at a reset point now where um, IMG and Learfield have combined together in a merger. And so we do have a lot of new staff kind of coming in. And so we're all meeting together on a monthly basis to say, how do we develop these inventory points or how do you, you know, what are you doing with your programs that we can then go tell the story? And it's not even a conversation about sales. It's, how can we support this programming effort more intentionally? Right. So it's having these clear objectives and then going out and executing on them to a high level, which is what you guys do. And that's something that you did at Wisconsin Whitewater very well too. And one of the things that other people might not be able to um, realize if they haven't been able to speak with you is that the, programming at Wisconsin Whitewater was kind of operating at a uh, power five level itself with the amount of money that you were able to bring in through these types of deals. Um, right. Right. Awesome. And, you know, talking about these inventory points, um, just, you know, generally how, how would you advise others at their respective institutions to develop these in these in inventory points for their program and determine the value of each point itself? I think you really have to take a look at instead of just uh, – let me back up. I guess I'll say in our profession, I feel like a lot of it was you kind of throw it at the wall and see what sticks, and that's, that's kind of how our, our profession developed to see what was going to be helpful and supportive to the student-athletes, what was going to work, but then also you know shifting every year based on the needs of the population. That's – being truthful, that's how I feel like I started as a professional in this as well. You kind of have to just see what's going to work. but that does not bode well for someone who's trying to sell an inventory point. You can't keep changing the mark or have the, the, you know, the mark shifting. So there has to be consistency in programming. Um, For us, it's been helpful to really set forth, and this is a little bit of my professor background, a curriculum and learning outcomes for each of the years so that really those translate then into what are the outcomes that can be inventory points or that are attractive to have people support because there's tangible things that are coming out of each program. Uh, assessment talks, it speaks to that as well. So how do you know a program is working and how can you demonstrate what I'll call ROI, return on investment? So that's huge with the development aspect and the corporate sponsorship aspect. Mm-hmm. And it seems like these um, inventory points in the business side of things could even be considered a, uh, KPIs, key performance indicators, is that correct? Yeah, definitely. And I think, you know, with with Ashton now uh, as the second vice president, and he's kind of shepherding a lot of work right now with our student athlete development unit around assessing programs. So we saw that survey go out so we could have a better understanding of kind of what everybody's doing. And, and that's really kind of the first step. It's almost like a needs assessment to understand in our profession, what are we doing? And then how do we start to maybe coordinate and organize what a curriculum could look like? And 
uh, I'll back up to your question before about the NCAA Life Skills Action Team. We had tried to do that about five years ago. And, uh, you know, I think because the profession is consistently changing, it has to be evolutionary in how it works. And so the more information we can have across divisions, we can then kind of have some guiding factors and guidelines for how to program. And that will only help support our new professionals who come into the profession. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I think one of the things that, you know, would be really good is to kind of have this be something done every three years so that we're always updating and evaluating and modifying our programs as best we fit to, you know, really make it the best experience that it can be for the athletes because that's what we're in this for. Right. Um, And that's, you know, something that you always want to keep on the business side of things too is, you know, keeping um, the human value at at the forefront because, you know, people want to know the story of the athletes. They want to see like, you know, this person could be a first generation student athlete. He's the first one to ever be able to go to college, let alone get a degree. And, you know, being able to sell that during corporate sponsorships is huge. Um, So how would you advise others to really keep the human value at the forefront of things? Yeah, I, I think really it's just doing what you do best. I think for myself, you know, you're coming up through uh, education, and not everyone is coming from an education background, but we all are educators in what we do on a daily basis. And so making sure that you always keep in the forefront that this is about the student-athlete. I think for myself in a senior staff position now, when you're at a table with people that are very focused on the fundraising elements and the facility side and, you know, the constant catch-up mode with the arms race, the student-athlete experience can be lost upon just because of the sheer number of things that have to go into this business entity. Um, so I, the higher education side of things within uh, the Division One level, Division Two level, Division Three level, I think the common thread across divisions is student-athlete, right? And mm-hmm. so continuously focusing on ensuring that you're providing the best experience and kind of doing a gut check and is this – I would think about as a student athlete, is this something that I would have found value in and for? And so that that's kind of the question I always ask myself. Right. Is is this going to be valuable and worthwhile so that you can buy, so that you can get buy-in for the rest of your programming? Right. Exactly. Um, and that is so key. And, uh, you know, one of the things within this arms race side of things is having this, student athlete development program and be the best that it can be um, really sets the edge on the recruiting front within our own conferences and even our own regions of, you know, the type of student athlete that we can attract. So doing that and tying that into the financial side of corporate partnerships is huge because the more money that you have, I'm not saying it's going to guarantee a higher success of programming, but it's definitely going to help with that because you can, you know, create more things and not be so strapped, per se. Exactly. Exactly. Um, and, you know, um, so, you know, once someone has been able to garner the financial support of a corporate partner for their uh, student-athlete development programming, how do you determine how to engage with them? You know, is that weekly, monthly, biannually, yearly? What's the engagement level look like? Say that one more time. Just want to make sure I, I got that one. So when when you're able to really 
procure the financial support for the sure. um, sure. program. How do you engage with the corporate partner? Um, what's that engagement level look like? Is it, you know, sure. every once in a while? Is it monthly? Oh, or sure. What's it look like? Yeah, and I think that's where you really have to outline it in the agreement specifically, um, like what that looks like and how much access they're going to have. And so, for example, at UW Whitewater, we would have two sessions a semester where we would have our corporate partner, our presenting corporate partner, come in and engage with our students. Um, and now that was a presenting level sponsor. If it was a supporting level sponsor, it might be once a year in more of a mock interviewing session type entity. And so thinking about, you know, are you having exclusive access? Are you having opportunities to engage in more of a, a, a group setting? And that's where it kind of comes into what is the contractual agreement state? And one of the aspects, and I'll just share it, we would run into some issues with is you can't require student athletes to do internships in a certain um, space, right? You can put them, you can give the opportunity for people to engage with them and you can help them understand the opportunity, but you can't force anybody to do something. And so having specific quantified numbers of 10 interns will move into this X organization, that can be a little problematic. So some of the language that we would use is a, uh, a good faith effort to provide exposure to opportunities for student athletes to intern with your program. And, and so just kind of be careful with your language to you know, ensure that you're able to fulfill the aspects that are needed. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because, I mean, definitely those supporting sponsors, um, they're definitely funding, but they're not funding as much as the more prominent sponsors. So Exactly. That and engagement then making level. Sure, yeah, making sure the engagement level matches the expectations. Right. Based off of the financial commitment, right? Yep, exactly. Okay. Um, and, you know, a lot of this, too, is really just connecting in with our um, letter winners associations um, at our own universities, whether that's student athletes or also just the general alumni base at our um, universities. Is, is there a difference in how we should interact with alum and letter winners? And trying to gain funds for programming? I would say that the alumni engagement piece is becoming more and more paramount now and important to intertwine within a leadership development area and student-athlete development area. And so bringing it kind of full circle and thinking about how you can move conversations away from major gift officers because a lot of alumni want to feel like they're engaged in mentorship programs and giving back to student athletes organically before they're asked to give a financial contribution. And so uh, that's kind of the model we've looked at is moving alumni engagement internal to our student development area and our student engagement area so that then development can, can kind of handle the conversations about the asks and the, the financial contribution after they felt like they'd had a positive experience and been engaged with current student-athletes, if that makes sense. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, so that, it, you know, it keeps it separate, which is really key, but also keeps it separate, but then it also serves the same purpose. Um, and uh, one of the other questions is, you have mentioned that there should be different levels of sponsorship for programming during both your presentation at this past year's and for a convention. And at PDI, um, 
what are three fundamental factors to consider when developing levels of sponsorship? I think that fundamental factors is really, again, just listening to what individuals want, but then also identifying what your capabilities are, because uh, you can't promise something that you can't deliver on. Right. Yeah, and that makes a lot of sense. And so understanding, you know, working with your senior staff to understand where your inventory points are, what you own, but also a lot of people are going to want things like signage or things that isn't internal to your department. And so making sure that you're having conversations across the whole program. And kind of just going back to our the previous question that I answered is, you know, working with the development office and the fundraising office um, just to make sure that we're all on the same level when developing those inventory points. Right. So that we don't really lose out on monies per se. Um, right. This last piece of our conversation today is, you know, really just focusing in on you as an individual. Um, And I think it's awesome to get to know others through these types of conversations. So uh, with that being said, um, one of the first questions in this section is, uh, looking back, what advice would you give yourself when you were in college? Sure. Um, (laughs) I would say that you need to enjoy the experience and not be so focused on the future for myself that, uh, you, you know, you you don't enjoy the day to day because it it goes fast. And I think that's for every student athlete now, because we are so focused on life after sport, you have to help them understand too, that every day is, is something that is crucial to their development. And it's, it's really a unique experience. You're not going to ever get back. So, Staying in the moment, uh, focusing on the present, and then having a mind towards the future as well. That's so key. Always being grateful for where you're at, but always looking to extend your roots as well. Um, the next question is, if, if you could give young professionals in our industry three pieces of advice when starting their career, what would they be and why? I think the biggest thing would be to be open with what you're trying to do with your career so that you're focused on kind of the bigger picture of how you're giving back from an education standpoint. And then also just being hungry, but also humble because the biggest piece is that the job that you have currently, if you do that well, people are going to notice and automatically want to help you move forward in your profession. I think right now, you know, everybody's looking to advance and move up and it's, it'll happen. So I always said this to the PDI group as well. The most important job you're in is the one you have now to work hard and establish yourself as a leader. And then continuously people will notice and take note of that. And I think there's going to be just so many opportunities as our field continues to grow that it's really a great profession to be in because there's kind of a exponential growth potential for people in this field, in my opinion. I couldn't agree more. I mean, for people that aren't in this industry, um, one of the things that I always recommend is um, getting into a company that's young and full of growth, and that's what the student-athlete development profession is. It's still fairly young, and there's definitely a 
good amount of opportunities on the horizon for those that are willing to put in the work where they're at and maximize their potential, which is so key. Totally. Um, yeah. And just you as, you know, as a uh, professional, I mean, you've done quite a lot already and the future is continuing to look bright for you. So uh, what's a legacy that you wish to leave? I would say the biggest legacy to leave is just the the idea that you know this profession can be really focused on bringing the higher education entity, the business entity together. I always like to see or say the word scholar practitioner and think about how it doesn't you don't have to be one specific area. You don't have to be campus driven, you don't have to be athletics driven. This is really an area that brings both together intentionally. And I guess the legacy would be showing that it can be done, regardless if it's a Power 5 school or a Division 3 entity. You can do this, and you can keep the student first in how you program, and you, you can do it strategically, and you can still be involved in a high, big business entity without losing that. I couldn't agree more. Yeah, that's, that's a really good answer. And, you know, one of the things that I always like to say, too, is, it was brought up during PDI last year. Um, you know, a lot of people wanted to become athletic directors from a student athlete development professional to launching into an athletic director position. Um, right. That can be done, you know, through the basis of the conversation that we had of, you know, working with corporate partnerships and really developing programming because you have to know how to fundraise and as being an AD and, we get to do that, but we also get to make an impact on a day-to-day basis, which is so key. Um, and also this using the research to back up the partnerships as well because you have to have the quantitative and qualitative side of things to really sell that story and keep the human perspective at the forefront. But, uh, you know, um, <clears throat> since this is such a social media-driven age that we live in, uh, where can people connect with you? So I would say uh, Twitter, Dr. Cam Navarro, is probably where I'm most active. And uh, also, it's you know, my email, Navarro at scarletknights.com. And I would say that there's probably every week I'm talking with someone new to the profession to just help them kind of understand where we're going. Um, the other piece I'll just throw out there is we do have a book coming out, myself, Lisa Rubin, and Jeff Mamro. And it's really kind of a how-to guide on student-athlete development programming. So I'd be happy to to share any information about that with people who have interest on getting into the – growing into that next next job or next step. Fantastic. Yeah, and, you know, for those podcast listeners out there, uh, Dr. Christina Navarro and I are going to be speaking about that book in – future months to come so be on the lookout for that conversation as well Um, but before I ask the final question I just really wanted to uh, show some appreciation to you as a fearless leader within our space of student athlete development and for always bringing your ideas to so many professionals out there and as you just highlighted you know connecting with younger professionals at least once a week is so key and uh, you, you you really do make a difference and you're doing wonderful things at Rutgers, and I know that there are many other opportunities to come your way um, just due to the impact that you have not only at Rutgers but in our profession as a whole. But 
with that being said, um, this is the Jack of all trades, uh, podcast on how to live with virtue and virtue to me is, you know, kind of my own personal, um, brand moniker and it's values that inspire the readiness to transform one's own understanding of excellence. And, uh, to you, I just kind of wanted to see what's your own definition of virtue and, uh, how do you live that out on a daily basis? I think the idea of virtue really is, you know, how do you operate in a sense that you have, you keep something bigger than yourself in mind and, you know, acting in a, in a manner where you're keeping a focus, not only on the student athlete, but the bigger picture of what are you giving back and always thinking about paying it forward. So I think about virtue and paying it forward and how you're trying to develop basically a legacy for yourself with the profession as well. And so if you can think about, you know, acting virtuously or is giving, paying forward and supporting those that will be the future of the profession. That's just a, a way we can all work together to make ourselves and our profession that much better. Couldn't agree more. And, and you embody that on, on, on a daily basis. Well, once again, Christina, I wanted to uh, thank you for taking the time out of your busy schedule as being, you know, a senior associate AD at Rutgers. I know that time commands for you are definitely um, pulling you probably all sorts of directions um, and I look forward to connecting with you again very soon. Well, thank you for the opportunity and uh, looking forward to continuously following your progress as well. Thank you. Once again, podcast listeners, I want to give you guys a warm thank you on spending the time listening to another episode of the Jack of all trades podcast. And I really hope that you were able to gain some valuable nuggets of information from Dr. Christina Navarro on how to increase monies for student-athlete development programming through incorporating the uses of the development office within our own athletic department as well as our Letters Winners Association in order to leverage corporate sponsorships to increase funds. For future episodes of the Jack of All Trades podcast, make sure to tune in as I have some great guests ahead, including Dr. Kaylee McCulley and J.P. Abercrombie. Now, as always, continue to live a life of virtue.